Navigating Through Lesser Lights, and the title came to me as I was reflecting on doing a biographical series on lesser-known figures in Scripture, lesser-known personalities that are there and definitely have an impact on the story that we're part of, but we don't hear about them a lot. And, uh, and so that phrase, lesser lights, kind of came to me through the Genesis story that that God created both, the, the greater lights and the lesser lights. And the lesser lights are, as we know, important for navigation and for uh, the tides and, and a lot of those things that we sometimes take for granted. And so uh, we recognize that even though in actuality they're very large, some of them, larger than our solar system, from our perspective sometimes we don't see them as well. And, and, uh, and yet there's much to glean from them. And so today's lesser light isn't as well known. We, we tend to hear more about the James that was the brother of John in the, in the New Testament, uh, both called the Sons of Thunder. But this James is a very unique person and actually became a very important figure in the church, uh, the brother or half-brother of Jesus. And so Crystal has graciously agreed, actually a little bit late notice, to to, uh, to teach on, on uh, James today. So we're really grateful. So let's pray and just invite the Holy Spirit to come through the Word of God today. So Father, I just, I just thank you for Crystal and the gift she is to us. Thank you, Lord, for just the, the gentle and quiet spirit that is upon her, that deep well within her of wisdom and insight, Lord, that, that just comes every time I hear her speak. And Lord, we're just open to hearing what, what you've been sharing with her, what, what she's been interacting with you about. And Lord, as she shares today, I just ask for freedom, uh, that, that she will just know she's at home with family, and uh, that you would anoint our ears to hear as well, and our hearts to receive uh, from your word today. Come, Holy Spirit. Let your kingdom come. Amen. Good morning, everyone. Today I have the privilege of speaking to you about James, the brother of Jesus. Last week, Joanna spoke on Priscilla, and we learned that she was a wonderful woman of God, recognized in the early church for her gift of hospitality and especially for her teaching ability. And Joanna pointed out that Priscilla is definitely not a lesser light, but simply a lesser known light. And I think we need to keep that in mind as we continue through the series. It's certainly true of James. Um, James, the brother of Jesus, also known as James the Just. He's not a lesser light, just lesser known. I've got a, a picture here. That worked really well. James, the brother of Jesus in the style of an icon. Who was this James? What kind of relationship did he have with Jesus? Where do we read about him in the New Testament? What was his role in the early church? As Gordy pointed out, um, this James was not one of the 12 disciples. There were two James, just to make things confusing, uh, that were a part of the 12, James, son of Alphaeus, and James, son of Zebedee. 
But James, the brother of Jesus, was not one of the 12 disciples. So what do we know about his relationship to Jesus? Especially during the time of Jesus' earthly ministry, did they have a good relationship? Was James a believer? And that is actually um, a point of disagreement amongst uh, scholars, whether or not James was a believer. So I'm going to highlight two different texts in order to kind of um, uncover whether or not James was a believer while Jesus was alive. So we're going to look first at Mark 3. Verses 31 to 35. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Jesus was teaching in a house, and um, it was quite crowded. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, Your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my my mother and my brothers? he asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Now this passage is often used to say, well, um, maybe there was some tension between Jesus and his family. But really nowhere there does it say so. (laughs) I don't know where we get that idea. Um, One author I read put it this way. The effect of this narrative is to distance Jesus from the ties of his natural family in the interest of asserting the ties with his followers. So in other words, the point of the passage is not to highlight some kind of disintegration between Jesus and his family, but rather to point towards the radical inclusivity of the family of God that Jesus is trying to establish. Later on in John, we read this in reference about Jesus' brothers. But when the Jewish festival of tabernacles was near, Jesus' brothers said to him, Leave Galilee and go to Judea, so that your disciples there may see the works you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. For even his own brothers did not believe in him. Well, that last line is kind of clear. (laughs) But um, in my reading, I discovered that in John, there's a two-fold belief um, happening. And, And so Jesus' brothers, they obviously recognized that he was performing these miraculous works. And so they saw and they believed, and yet they didn't make the connection between what Jesus was doing and his relationship to God the Father. So while it says, for even his own brothers did not believe in him, I think what John is trying to say is they didn't get the whole picture. They didn't... Um, get that deep level of belief where they 
acknowledged that Jesus uh, was God. Um, they simply believed upon sight that he was performing these miraculous things. In any case, the reason I brought these scriptures to your attention was to answer the question, was James, the brother of Jesus, a believer during Jesus' earthly ministry? So I hope that I've given you um, cause to believe the answer to this question is probably yes. And there are other reasons to support this. Um, James and his brothers were frequently reported to be in the company of Jesus and his followers, and they were reported to have been among the believers in Jerusalem right after um, the resurrection. So in my opinion, this is enough evidence to say yes. Um, James was a believer. And um, just in my own thinking, I mean, um, James ended up being the first leader of the Jerusalem church. So to go from being an unbeliever to that kind of role seems... Um, illogical. <laughs> While these have been fairly minor references to Jesus' brothers and by association, James, there are other scripture passages that deal with James more specifically and, and in greater detail. I would say that the bulk of what we can learn about him is found in the book of Acts. And so this is where we'll spend most of our time today. We'll read through um, the majority of Acts chapter 15, where we find the story of the Jerusalem Council. And I think this is an important chapter for us to read if we're to examine James um, and his role as the leader of the Jerusalem church. It's here where that role really stands out. So before we dive into Acts chapter 15, I'll give you a bit of context. Our setting is Jerusalem, and Jerusalem was the nation's capital, the center of the church's mission. It's where Jesus instructed his apostles to wait and receive the Holy Spirit before he ascended to heaven. Throughout the book of Acts, Jerusalem is depicted as the center from which mission is carried out. So, for instance, Peter and Paul, they pursue their separate missions, um, Peter to the Jewish people and Paul to the Gentiles, but they report back to Jerusalem. So, James was the leader of this church, the Church of Jerusalem, and his mission was to the Jewish people. The main characters in this story are Paul, Barnabas, and Paul and Barnabas were working um, closely together at the time, as well as Peter and James. The conflict they deal with has to do with the inclusion of Gentile believers into the people of God, a conflict which was triggered by a dispute that happened in Antioch. That's where Paul and Barnabas were located. So let's read how this plays out. Certain individuals came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers 
Unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So, Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the believers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostle and elders, to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, The Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. When they finished, James spoke up. Brothers, he said, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this, as it is written. After this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild, and I will restore it, that the rest of humanity may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord who does these things, things known from long ago. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. This is quite a lengthy passage, so I'm going to recap. Paul and Barnabas have gone to Jerusalem in order to seek resolution about whether or not Gentile believers must become circumcised or not. They meet with the council at Jerusalem, which consists of James and Peter, as well as other elders and apostles of the church. A group of Pharisees stand up and say, The Gentile converts must be circumcised. This gets Peter to his feet. But remember when I shared the gospel with the Gentiles and God intervened by pouring out the Holy Spirit on them? 
This exclamation from Peter gets Paul and Barnabas on a roll, and they pick up where they left off telling stories about what God has been doing amongst the Gentiles. So we officially have cause for serious debate. Two opposing viewpoints right out there on the table. How do you imagine this council? In your mind's eye, was it a civil and relaxed meeting? Or was it heated? People calling out their opinions, full of emotional angst. I think it's challenging for us to understand the position of the Jewish converts. I mean, we're Gentiles ourselves, right? I confess that when I read a passage like this, um, my gut reaction is, uh, wake up. Isn't the writing on the wall? Get over yourselves. If your initial response to this passage we just read is similar to mine, I challenge you to put yourself in the shoes of a first, first century Jewish Christian. Sure, circumcision wasn't an easy or painless custom, but it had been decreed by God as a mark of belonging. The Jewish people had been practicing circumcision for centuries upon centuries. Think about the church traditions that you're not willing to let go of. Maybe you're an anti-traditionalist and the difficulty you have is adopting new traditions. Whatever the case, there are different church traditions and practices that have been ingrained into our psyches. And to consider letting go of them for something else uh, would cause us to have real visceral emotional responses. And it's not like, you know, certain traditions we have at VEV have been going on for centuries. So it's hard to wrap your mind around that, but um, I think it's critical. My point is that we need to enter into the heat of this debate. If you want to dig any deeper, there's a lot of research, but um, while I was at Regent, one of my um, tutors had us watch part of this movie, um, Peter and Paul, maybe you've seen it, came out in 1981, and it was originally made for TV in two parts. It's quite long. Um, but about halfway through the film, the Council of Jerusalem takes place, and I think it does a pretty good job of depicting what this event might have been like. You really get the sense that the issue at stake was crucial and that the Council of Jerusalem was a turning point in the history of the early church. So back to James the leader of the Jerusalem church. Now that your imaginations have warmed up, I want you now to consider what you would do in James's position. In my mind's eye, I see him as a kind of umpire contending with two opposing teams, 
obviously each of the teams has a very different perspective on what it means to be part of the people of God. So what does James do? Does he side with the team who he's, whom he's been leading all along? The Jewish believers who continue to live and abide by Jewish customs and marks of distinction? Or does he side with the team who has seen God intervene and start a new thing? We can, alert, we can learn a lot from James by the response he gives the council. First, he addresses them with familial language. Brothers, he calls them. He sets his tone with the first word from his mouth, almost as if to say, hey guys, remember, we're all on the same team. We're part of the same family. Then he underlines what Peter has said. He demonstrates that he has listened to his fellow apostle and that he has respectfully weighed what Peter has had to say. And then what does he do? I think it's absolutely brilliant and um, inspired by the Holy Spirit. He quotes the prophet Amos. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this. Um, Before he says that, he's um, referred to what Peter has said. So he's saying, the words of the prophets are in agreement with Peter, as it is written. I'll just bring up this quote one more time. After this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild, and I will restore it, that the rest of humanity may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord who does these things things known from long ago. By quoting this passage from Amos, James is speaking the language of his people. They know these words already. They may or may not have had them memorized, but these words were a part of the prophetic imagination of the Jewish people. Words of promise, of return, restoration, and rebuilding. James calls his fellow brothers to remember these words, and I think by doing that, he's gently pulling on their heartstrings. It's as if he asks, Brothers, are we truly a people of promise? Amos foretold it. It's happening now. Are we going to live in it? It's so gentle and yet very clear and authoritative. James then goes on to make a judgment on what this will actually look like in reality. What will it mean for the Gentiles to belong to the people of God? First of all, he says, it is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. He then goes on to say, instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, 
from the meat of strangled animals and from blood. So there's that list there. This list of don'ts, does it seem kind of arbitrary? (laughs) Or is there a common theme that unites them? In my reading to prepare for this message, I discovered that this, this list isn't arbitrary at all. One scholar I read pointed out that these regulations were not conditions of membership in the people, but were intended to enable table fellowship with Jewish believers. The intent behind these rules was relational. It wasn't like James was saying, if the Gentiles abide by these rules, they can belong to us. By offering up this list of rules, he was extending the offer of deeper fellowship. And table fellowship was an integral part of Jewish Jewish religious life. And this certainly would have been the case, um, continued to be the case in the Jerusalem church after Christ's death and resurrection. Given that Christ instituted the Lord's Supper and his many resurrection appearances happened at mealtimes, it's still really a big deal to the Jews and should be to us. So James makes a clear, authoritative judgment call. We can let go of circumcision, but if we are truly brothers, Gentile and Jew, then we need to be able to eat together. I think that's beautiful. The whole response is so full of wisdom and discernment. It reveals James's heart and is evidence of the Holy Spirit's work in him. So what can we learn from James today? What is the legacy he has left the church? Without a doubt, James has left us with a strong representation of what it means to be a Christ-like leader. As the leader of the Jerusalem church at a crossroads, James dealt with conflict in a way that was honoring both to God and to his fellow brother. More specifically, he demonstrated this in the following ways. First, by listening. In the passage, he's the last one to speak. And when he does, he speaks with humility and respect. And he looks backward and forward. And what I mean by this is in reference to um, the Amos passage, he quotes, he consults history and yet the prophetic imagination. And so it's like he's just tracing the trajectory of the Holy Spirit um, in his speech, in his judgments. So, and yeah, he makes authoritative judgments at appropriate times. Whether we find ourselves in positions of leadership or not, I think these are important values. If we're going to exercise discernment in our Christian journeys, um, whether it be individually or corporately. John Painter, one scholar I read, 
summarize James' legacy this way. James emerges as the first leader of the Jerusalem church, the successor of his brother Jesus. In this role, he was effectively his brother's keeper. From this perspective, tradition coming from James can be seen as a guide to the understanding of the mission and achievement of Jesus. If we remember James and lead in the manner that he led, by listening, speaking with humility and respect, looking backward and forward, making authoritative judgments at appropriate times, really, we're effectively leading in the way that Jesus would have us lead. Or you can think of it this way, we're following in the way that Jesus would have us follow. That's the conclusion. <laughs> and I know normally we segue from um, our teaching time to prayer ministry. And it's tradition for Gordy to come up and do that or someone else in the church. But given the um, subject matter of, of what I've talked about, I've just really felt it pertinent that we pray for Gordy and Kathleen today. And um, we all know that being leaders in the church, um, just it, it means that you carry a lot of weight with you. So I would like to lift them up in prayer. And um, I'd invite anybody who wants to do that um, with us here at the front. I'll, I'll pray first. And I was going to ask Alec to close, but he... Uh, yeah, I, I don't know where he got off to with Jocelyn. So I'll pass around the mic and then close again myself. And um, at that point, we can lead into a time of prayer ministry for each other. So why don't you guys come up and um, anybody else, if you'd be willing to come up and pray for Gordy and Kathleen. Um, otherwise, you can extend your hands towards them. Um, it doesn't matter, yeah. Maybe I should ask you guys, first of all, I know you've been to uh, New Brunswick and that there were some heavy things dealt with there. And if there's any, any specific things that you would like prayer for today. Well, it just was amazing that the very same passage Crystal's been doing exegesis on and hermeneutics, is exactly the passage that one of the key passages that we were uh, praying into as a national team leadership and getting input from some uh, vineyard scholars from the Society of Vineyard Scholars who are doing their PhD work in theology. So that's amazing. And basically, we're just trying to really step forward uh, so that we can develop an understanding of how to deal with differences without polarization. Exactly the same thing that you talked about. It's too bad you couldn't have been with us. That would have been just amazing. We'll have to send a quick email. Uh, they'll be just thrilled. So I think that's the main thing as we go, we're going forward. We want to be very inclusive. Um, where Vineyard is known as the radical middle. And we want to be able to 
you know, embrace people and understand people and walk in wisdom. So I, exactly what you're, you're sharing on is a very key thing for us. And of course, that implies in this time of transition how we partner with not just younger leaders, but new leaders. That's our heart and our passion. So we're praying for God to really bring new leadership in and release people where they feel effective, whether it's a house church, whether it's in whatever context. We just want to be, you know, be able to be kind of like Joanna exhorted us at the wedding, kind of grandparenting more and more. Yeah, first of all, thank you, Crystal. Uh, it was just a, a beautiful message you've given today. And we did. We just lived in that text last week. You know, that's, that was basically the foundation of our national team meetings. Um, I, I think that this is a time where we need courage and discernment in moving forward together in the body of Christ. Um, and to be able to hold our differences in, in unity, you know, just to be able to do that. And, and James, it was just such an amazing, uh, thank God for him, you know. Um, uh, so, you know, I think, I think some of the issues surround how in this day we are going to be a, a, what's called a center set movement. What, what I mean by that is we're not a movement that that has this big line that says this person is in and this person is out. But rather we're a movement that says we're following Jesus and we're all at different distances in that continuum. And how do we include people who are different than us? Just like the Gentiles were different to the Jews. And there's, there's all kinds of issues related to that. To the, the, the Muslim issue, the... You know, there's Muslims having encounters with God, but they don't look like us in, their, in the way that they're following Jesus. There's people in the gay, lesbian, transgender community that are in the Holy Spirit's, just like he did Tony Dolphel Smith in the middle of his lifestyle. And it, it was a long journey for him. How do we pastor that? Um, a lot of questions around that. And we're really going to need courage. We're going to need discernment. And... Um, just the James-like wisdom, you know. So we really would welcome your prayers for that. I think as a local church, as Kathleen said, I, I agree with Joanna's word about us becoming grandparents. And so it means allowing the children to parent and, and being willing to encourage the children in a way that isn't meddling but also isn't irresponsible either, you know, that. So is that specific enough? So I'll open in prayer, and, and if you do want to pray out loud, then just put your hand up and I'll find you. Gracious God, we thank you so much for this couple and for what they have given this body in their leadership, their love, and their pastoring. And we recognize that it's a journey full of joys and sorrows. 
and responsibilities. And for Gordy and Kathleen in particular, as part of the um, larger oversight body governing um, Vineyard internationally, um, they carry even more weight with that responsibility. We thank you for their wisdom. And we pray that you would um, give them what they need when they need it. Whether it be in their discussions with other um, vineyard leadership team members. Or just in, in daily workings of our local body. Give them what they need, Father. We pray that you would um, bless them with wisdom from the Holy Spirit, the kind that James had when he, he referenced Amos. We pray that they would have that kind of wisdom that is able to recognize the way you have worked through history and hold that in, in balance with what you are doing now. It's not easy. But you, we know that you are the giver of gifts. And so we pray that you would give them this this good gift. Father, we lift up Gordy and Kathleen as members of the leadership team of the Vineyard Church in Canada, Father, as one of four regional directors, Lord God. We ask that your wisdom would be upon them, Father, as they begin to to draw lines and uh, sketch out a picture of what the vineyard is going to look like in Canada. Abstain from blood. We ask you, Lord, that they would have the courage um, to draw lines based on Scripture, fueled by unity and love, Father. Thank you, Lord, that James did not say to the Jewish believers, well, you should engage in sexual immorality and you should start drinking blood. I pray, Father, that the simple wisdom of that passage would be rooted and draw lines of division in their hearts, dividing between soul and spirit, dividing between good intentions and your intentions, Lord. We pray that your vision would come clear. We pray that you would show them prophetically what your will is for all of the many and diverse issues that they're facing, Father God. We thank you that it's not simply a, a conference gone past, but it's a day-to-day discussion, a day-to-day work that you're doing in the vineyard and in many, many other places. As we grapple with issues today that we didn't face as clearly as in New Testament times, or, or we face issues that are even more clear that we didn't see then. 
pray now that you just release that prophetic spirit, that you would um, give people words of wisdom and pictures um, to speak to Kathleen and to Gordy. And um, for me, the, the word is to abstain from blood. And that would be a, a, a motto or a slogan or a, something to turn to um, for making decisions in the future. Father, I ask you um, for Kathleen and Gordy and for the other regional directors that you would give them a spirit of humility, that you would allow them to let go of their insecurity and their pride, that you would bless them with a vision to see what you're doing and the strength and courage to carry that out. Um, that they would not get in the way of what you were doing. And I pray that here uh, in our church, you would do the same thing, uh, both for us as a congregation and for the leadership, that you would allow us to put ourselves down and put ourselves aside and to listen to you. Father God, I just pray for Gordy and Kathleen. God, I pray in your word where it says in Isaiah that behold, I am bringing you to nations you do not know and nations that do not know you and they will come and bow before you. Kings and queens will bow before you because of your God. And I also pray right now, Lord, as it says in Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord plans for good and not for harm, to give you hope in the future. And as I also pray in Luke, God, I pray, Luke ten nineteen. behold, I give you all power and authority over snakes, scorpions, and all the works of the enemy, and nothing by any means shall harm you. And I also pray, God, for this congregation, for Vineyard, God, that as it says in Joshua twenty four fifteen, choose ye this day whom you're going to serve, either the God of your ancestors or the God of Mammon. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And I also pray, God, as it says in James 4, 7, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. Draw closer to God, and God will draw closer to you. And I believe that God has old and new treasures for you. He wants to give you treasures that are stored in secret place that he, the Holy Spirit, is going to show you and speak that wisdom that you need, give you new thoughts. And the, it is a new time in that sense that he's doing a new thing in your lives. And there's part of forgetting the former and going on with the new takes courage and God wants to give you that courage if you ask him for it to be able to embrace what the Holy Spirit wants to do and to um, not hold on to security in in a, a thing that is not going on with God so there's old treasures that God says you hold on to but there's new treasures he has for you yeah I just uh, concur with that and just say that uh, 
Um, as God is with Joshua, he is with you, both of you. And that uh, time to cross the Jordan is coming and is here. And that uh, the time of the wilderness journeys it will come to an end, that God is calling you into a new day and a new season. And uh, the thoughts he has for you, as been already said, are for good and not for evil. A leadership that will carry people into the purpose and plan of God for their lives, that they may be fruitful in the land, and that they may bear fruit for God in their lives. A time where God will uh, bring green pastures and uh, quiet, still waters flowing by. A time where children will be able to laugh and play, and God will bless families, and God will bless um, unity of purpose and spirit in him, Christ Jesus. So I believe the Lord is saying the time of wilderness is coming to an end, that, that a new season, a new journey is about to begin. You will need to know the Lord and his voice. You will need to be close to him. Because it's his wisdom you, you will, that will carry you through and get, instruct you on the way you should go. And it's his understanding that will teach you the path to walk in. God, I thank you for where these feet have been and for the dirt that they have walked through. I just feel God's pride. In the two of you are his children. Because you have walked through the dirt. And you walk with other people in their dirt. But you continue to follow him and you never give up. And he sees that and he's so proud of you. And I agree with the words that have been spoken. That there is such wealth of wisdom in the things that you have walked through the things that you have seen, the way you have looked to God, he has equipped you in the past to get through each and every journey, to overcome each and every obstacle. But he wants to give you new shoes now. New shoes, new equipping for this new leg. The old shoes are gone. The new shoes will be fit and put on you. And just like the words of the song we sang this morning, you can make a way where there is no way. And this is not dependent on your wisdom. This is not dependent on your good ideas. This is you being passionately in love with Jesus and just being obedient to what you hear him saying. Lord, despite all the complexities that um, find their way into church and church life and churches, what it means to be the community here in the not yet, Lord, despite all that, I thank you 
with gratitude and full hearts that fundamentally this faith is quite simple to testify to what we've seen and heard. That we stand in a line of fallen, broken people, just like those who happened to be there when you came in that first century. We stand in a line with them and we testify to what we've seen and heard. And as we pray over Gordy and Kathleen right now, Lord, I just ask that you would fortify them in what they've seen and heard. I thank you for them. I thank you for their their holy lives, that um, their light in this community, that there are still people like Paul who can say, without any arrogance, but with all humility, follow me as I follow Christ. Lord, I thank you that that's our faith. And that Gordian and Kathleen embody that kind of faith and devotion to you uh, in this place. Lord, we do ask as they are given responsibility, as they've been given more, and that more is expected. Um, Lord, we pray for discernment to see and hear what you're doing in this new time, in this moment. For the discernment, Lord, to see through things into the spiritual realm that will guide the body and bring it to unity, the kind of unity you prayed that we would experience in the Gospel of John. So we pray for that discernment, and then also, as Gordy and others have already said, for the courage to follow. So we pray for that courage, God, over our leaders. And we pray all these things with hearts of gratitude for them. Pray that they would sense that, um, that there is communion with you and each other, and they've been instrumental in that. Essential ligaments, God. Let's pray for more grace, more of your grace to come to this world um, through our collective following of you and testimony to what you've seen and heard, to what we've seen and heard. Thank you for them, God. We lift them up. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Father, I thank you for, for Gordy and Kathleen. And I, I thank you for this opportunity that has been uh, given to us this morning. I thank you for Crystal and her message this morning. And uh, I see the it's not a coincidence, Lord, that uh, of your speaking to us this morning and, and using uh, this uh, teaching that is so representative of, uh, of faith and uh, practicality worked out. And uh, I, I think of James, and, and I, I, um, I understand through history that he was the, the first martyred saint, too, of the church. And, um, and how, how we, you know, and in, 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 in his writing in, in the book of James, how um, we're to uh, express our faith, um, consider it a pure joy when you, when you face trials. Lord, and, and, and it's difficult to face trials, but, but, but I, we can't help but think of joy too, Lord, because joy is, is who you are because of what you've done for us, God. And, the, and the, um, you, you've poured out your spirit on us, Lord. And uh, you've given us uh, 
the strength to persevere. And, and perseverance will, will bear the good fruit. It um, just, uh, just says here, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the, uh, the testing of your faith develops perseverance, and perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word, and we thank you for truth, um, the foundation, the foundation of, of your church is, is uh, on truth, and we are your representatives here on earth, Lord, and uh, we will be given the strength to persevere. You, you've, uh, you've said that we, we will persevere through the difficulties, and uh, we can look with joy to the future, Lord, and what you have for this church and the church at large. In Jesus' name, thank you very much, Jesus. We love you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. Praise be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. As we just sang this morning, the worship, it just brought that, that um, scripture verse to me, Lord, and it's our Lord Jesus Christ. So we have that inheritance with the Father and all the saints. Blessed be your name, O Lord. Uh, I would like to testify that uh, what Gordy and Kat- Kathleen are doing is goes far beyond this church uh, uh, as we were uh, on Friday at a uh, wedding of our daughter, uh, the wedding was uh, basically spiritually and organizationally also guided by Gordy and Kathleen. And, and at the reception, at the end of the reception, uh, one of the guests uh, told me, this is something unreal this is this 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 is so real and this this whole thing this wedding nothing nothing is pretended and i have to stress that also um uh, lydia and Warren were uh, guided and and uh, un- under the consultation by uh, Gordy and Kathleen for eight months. I, I heard. If, uh, so uh, that was the testimony to the to the guests who who came from various walks of life and professions who were at the wedding. So I, I would really like to thank to Gordy and Kathleen for that. Amen. Wow. This is this is amazing. Thank you, everyone. This is, means so much. Uh, just to have a church that loves us and prays for us, and we know you have been doing that, and this has just been an expression of that. So thank you so much. Thank you, Crystal, for a wonderful word, wonderful message today. And we will indeed carry these. I think what was really key about the James or the uh, Acts fifteen encounter was the prophetic. It was the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit that, that he, we are not alone with all of these issues. The Holy Spirit is here. He's with us. And we're seeing him lead us by his hand. And so uh, with all the transitions we're going through as a church, with change, people come, people go, 
the Holy Spirit is, is his hand is on us. I sense that strongly. I don't like it. I don't like change. But I know that if we're going to grow and if we're going to become who God has called us to be, it's part of the program. It's part of his, his program. And so we can trust him with that and uh, be people of the Spirit. So may the grace of the Lord Jesus and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. I also want to pray for Kenny. If he, is he still here? Kenny's really been debilitated by an injury, and I'd like to some of us to gather around him. Just call him, call him N.A., and we'll, some, of, some of us will gather around him. What, what I just want to also just say thank you so much for facilitating that. Just amazing to me, again, the same passage that Crystal was given is the same passage that we were actually living in for almost uh, four days in New Brunswick with leaders from all across Canada and then from Vineyard Scholars coming up from, the, from America. One thing I just had a quick picture of is we have uh, so many beautiful women here that are getting ready to have babies and, of course, Lynn's just delivered. But being a, a mother and uh, knowing what it feels like to be pregnant, you get to the place where you just are so ready not to be pregnant that you would just do almost anything, like jump up and down, slide down the stairs, or do whatever so that you could just deliver. And I feel like our church is almost at that place, and many, and it's not always comfortable is it? It's not comfortable when it's time for new things to happen. It, it doesn't feel comfortable, but you know it's going to happen. And you just pray that everybody's going to be around you, praying and blessing the child within. So I, I believe that as we walk on, many people here have continued to walk in uncomfortability. Like it's not been easy, but God is right at the verge the Holy Spirit is right on the verge of releasing many new and wonderful communities. Communities. Communities uh, in different parts of our city that will affect the whole world. So don't be afraid of uncomfortability. Don't be afraid if something feels a little bit uncomfortable. Recognize the child within. Recognize the Spirit, what the Spirit of God is doing in you. And maybe that's part of the courage that we talk about, the courage to step forward and trust that the Lord's going to give us the strength to bring forth this new life that God has within us. Amen. We need to let you go. Uh, Parents, pick up your kids. We love you. Grace and peace.